Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. How are you, Keith? I'm doing well. You know what I did, what, two or three nights ago? I can only imagine. I set up. There's a television channel called Axis, A-X-S, and they have concerts and things like that. And I watched a two-and-a-half, almost three-hour documentary on the Doobie Brothers because many listeners don't know, but I kind of lobbied for their our opening song, and that's kind of the music I like and the genre that I'm in, and you you allowed me to do that, and I got to watch some of my heroes and in uh, in a documentary, and I was very very happy. It's up there with the Eagles uh, and some others that I've watched. You have no response. I appreciate it. Well, two things. One, I don't recall much lobbying going on. You might have thrown out an idea, and we said, okay, let's go with it. Secondly, just yesterday, uh, so my. My daughter likes that. This is how to lose an audience in two minutes. So I better make this one minute, right? She likes the song Black Water. So we listen to it a lot. So anyway, last night, Michael McDonald was playing on the radio. Mm-hmm. And she goes, turn this off. Put on the Doobie Brothers. And I said, well, we're kind of there. <laughs> and she said, she's 10. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait your answer. Why do they call them the Doobie Brothers if his name is McDonald? And the reason is that uh, they participated in some illegal activities as youngsters and uh, said, hey, you know, we're kind of the Doobie Brothers. Okay. I didn't have that response (laughs) at the tip of my tongue because I wasn't sure where to go. That's what I was told. Sort of like the University of Georgia baseball team. They're not sure where to go after they came in. They're staying home is what they're doing. They came in like bulldogs, but uh, they they went out with a whimper. They went out like shih tzus. (laughs) Uh, you didn't even need the second syllable of that word, quite frankly. Just saying. Impressive performance for Florida State's baseball team. And now what it sets – and, you know, we're midweek, so people have – and we'll talk with Tim about Tim Becker and and just the way the weekend unfolded. Does the pendulum go back too far the other way? But in my household, we now have a Florida State LSU week. Well, we know how that happens and what that means to the block household. Bless yeah. his heart. You got Bless a, his heart. You got a spare room at your house, KJ? You can come over, In case brother. I need it. You can come over. So I will say this. Now, I am not going to be there this weekend. Uh, I mean, unless we change plans, we're not planning to go. But we, ha- I've been there uh, a few times to Alex Box Stadium. And so this is the little 
Baton Rouge Chamber of Commerce message I'll send you. First of all, it's on the same plane as Tallahassee. So as hot as it is here, that hot in Baton Rouge. And matter of fact, generally speaking, the way I get my weather forecast is whatever happened in New Orleans yesterday. Going to happen today. Going to happen today. Everything so works west east. Yeah, that's the general rule of thumb there. So it will be hot. Uh, that said, great stadium. When you sit in the stadium, uh, if you're you know between third and first base, you look out and right over center field, what you see is Tiger Stadium, which you have played in. Uh, and it's just a great vantage point. They have a walk-on sports bar and grill or walk-ons bistro. The same folks that sponsored the Independence Bowl we played in a couple years ago. Drew Brees and company. Yes. Um, it's located roughly the same distance from the baseball stadium as what Madison Social is uh, to Hauser. So that's part of the environment. If you're walking around campus, it's worth going to see Mike the Tiger. Would you like to share your Mike the Tiger story? I've already shared it. And it but involved... it's been a couple years. I feel like we haven't heard this. Well, long story short. First time I was in Tiger Stadium, I went out and received a few punts because I was the backup punt returner. Came back in, got a drink of water, went back out to warm-ups. We, we used to line up and run underneath the goalpost. That was the way we did warm-ups. So we were all lining up and counting off. And I banged my head against the, the thing I'm leaning against, and I'm expecting my helmet to hit concrete block because that's what I'm used to, and it's metal. And I turn around, and I'm staring right in the face of that Tiger. And I, his head is 47 feet in diameter. And I think he licks me on the nose. I'm not sure. But I peed my pants. It scared me so bad. We don't have tigers in Wildwood. We have ocelots and bobcats. We ain't got no tigers. That was a big feline. Well, Mike the Tiger has a huge habitat. It's If you're at the baseball stadium, it's on the opposite end zone of the football stadium between Tiger Stadium and what's known as the PMAC, which is the Pete Maravich Assembly Center there. Huge, and when I say huge, it's like a $4 million habitat yeah, they for this it, tiger. What, five or seven years well, ago? Well, because, you know, there's there's animal rights activists and PETA folks that get involved. They just And they just had to secure a new tiger, what, within the last year or two? Anyway, digressing here, but it's worth walking around the campus there to check that out. But the stadium environment is great. LSU's, uh, you know, we know this history, but they've won six national titles. They have an incredible baseball museum right in the stadium that's open to all fans during the game it's worth going to check that out be a good time for those who are going the thing the biggest thing i think that that florida state players are going to have to deal with is you had what three thousand thirty five hundred in athens you can get up to five thousand forty five hundred to five thousand at hauser you're going to be playing at ten to twelve thousand so that's going to be a group that technically is twice as big or bigger and obviously a good 90% of them, although we've got folks over in Baton Rouge that will show up, not like they did from Atlanta over to Athens this past weekend, but there'll be a few faithful there. You're going to be outnumbered. And and they like to enjoy themselves prior to sporting events, as, as you might well imagine. So they're a little louder than the normal fan. I'm going to put an asterisk on that statement. Prior to anything. Okay, good deal. They're a little louder than the normal fan. So uh, it's going to be a hostile environment. The most comparable stadium Florida State plays in or setting in terms of size would be over in Jacksonville when they play Florida every year. And I don't recall offhand what the baseball grounds holds, but I feel like it's eight or 9,000 have been in there, maybe more. And LSU draws 10 and a half, and I don't know if they can shoehorn more in there for the regionals. So that's in terms of size. It feels like a double-A ballpark. I mean, it's this is the not the original Alex Box. They rebuilt this stadium. Uh, I don't know, it's been 10, 12 years now probably, but it's a new stadium and it's an impressive stadium. Uh, But the difference is when you're in Jacksonville, it's half orange and blue and half garnet and gold. And when you go to LSU, it's going to be 98% purple and gold and 2% garnet and gold. Even though I know a lot of FSU folks personally who are going, 
it's going to be still going to be outnumbered. Not as big a percentage as what it was in Athens. So how, there's that. All that said, how big a decision by eleven and or meet to start the no name in Tim Becker? Yep. Well, he's a name now. He's well, it was a no name a week ago. I guess uh, you, well, you have to give him credit for that. The fact that Elijah Cabell has struggled so mightily, not just struggled a little bit, probably made that decision easier. But you could have never predicted that he would hit three home runs there and have that two-run single and get walked twice because they're afraid to pitch to him. I mean, it was just Talk a crazy about a weekend. guy taking advantage of an opportunity. He certainly did that. Without question. He's, it, was, it was a memorable week. You know, I, I kept trying to think of what does this remind me of from the Florida State baseball team in terms of something they've done similar previously. And the answer is nothing because they've never been a three-seed nationally, so there's no comparison point. Now, two years ago it was very improbable that they were going to win the ACC tournament, that they were going to win the regional until Dylan Busby hit a triple in the ninth inning. And then they even got off to a bad start in the Supers against Sam Houston State, if I've got my years correct there. Uh, so that was improbable, but not to the degree maybe that this kind of perf- – it wasn't improbable that they won a regional. To me, it was improbable that they the dom- they dominated the regional. Yeah. It was amazing. And you go back two more years – go back two years, rather, 2017 – if memory serves, wasn't LSU the national runner-up or at least the third team? Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, and Florida State and LSU were in the same bracket. And so that leads to my public service announcement. And you heard this story at the time, but two years ago, I've been to Omaha several times. My wife had never gone. She wanted to go. She went to LSU. So the Block family vacation, we planned a trip to – it was – we carved in Chicago for the bulk of it. But we went to Omaha for three or four days. And by the way, that's an eight-hour drive, so don't think that they're right next door to each other. And two years ago, that would be uh, age eight and six. For the kids. Yeah. (laughs) But the point is, at no point during the year did you look – did it look like Florida State was going to go to Omaha or LSU, quite frankly. And they wound up both advancing and both being in the same bracket and playing each other twice while we were there. Now, that was the good news. The bad news was LSU won. Uh, so the good news for you listening to this show, FSU fans, is that I'm not going to the game this weekend, so our chances are better. And the last time LSU and Florida State played at Box Stadium has been 20-plus, 25? I think longer than that. Maybe 30, 30 years? Yeah, they, I think most of their meetings of late have been in Omaha. Exactly. There was a time, and I tried. I, I had a conversation, or I texted with Chip Baker this week about this. In 1986... FSU and LSU played a game here at Hauser that was nationally televised on ESPN. And I went back and tried to, to do some homework on it, and I couldn't confirm this. But I, I had always been led to believe it was the first nationally televised college baseball game, at least on ESPN. I guess CBS might have had the national championship game in the old Omaha format. I never did find that. But basically, it was a made-for-TV game between the conference tournament and the NCAA regionals. So think about that. So it was a standalone game. Standalone game that ESPN, I guess, paid for. They flew LSU in through a horrible storm on a private plane. FSU played in 86. I was not here for this, but Chip sent me the story recap. And bottom line, they won on a walk-off by Paul Sorrento, 6-4. to four. And FSU was number one and LSU was number two. And that's the year that FSU ultimately, they, they wound up national runner-up, uh, runners-up that year. That was so, a great team. The 86 team was a great team. Uh, and LSU had, you know... Uh, a guy who'd later be known as Albert Bell on that team. I mean, they had some guys uh, ba- that played. Bash Brothers, does that phrase come to, to mind? Yeah, well, they had uh, – he was Joey Bell then. But anyway, so that was a long time ago. I'm not familiar with the history overall. They played in Omaha a couple years ago. Uh, they played in Omaha when Paul Wilson was on the Florida State team, I think. I, I'm not remembering a regular season series offhand, but 
I may be missing something. I, I don't think it's happened. Uh, what else you got on that? I, I was just impressed with you know two things, and we'll talk with our, our Seminole.com insider Tim Lenefeld about this in the next segment. You know, the ability to get up early is such an advantage. I mean, we talk about it in football. We talk about it in basketball. But it is such an advantage in baseball, particularly if you get up three runs or four runs in that first inning or that second inning. Takes all the pressure off your offense. Takes all the pressure off your pitcher. And obviously, Parrish maybe didn't go as long as we expected him to do. I, I think, candidly, you would say he had the third best performance. Right. I think Van Eyck and, and, and Grady uh, were better. But nevertheless, all of them were able to operate with that cushion, and it just is an unbelievable advantage. I don't know if Florida State can get off to those starts against LSU or not, but uh, and, and candidly, they may need to if they want to be victorious. But what a what a luxury that was, and what what focus from from the get go did the team have uh, on every first pitch? I do think they played more free. I just a lot of times, especially the last few years at home, it just feels like they've had the they've looked like what Georgia looked like, like they've had an anvil on their back because they're feeling pressure. And away from home, they just played free, and I hope it continues this weekend uh, against LSU. Uh, speaking of this weekend, Keith, Saturday, I know you've had this in in bold big font, uh, bright letters on your calendar for a while now. Saturday is National Rosé Day. and uh, Rosé, you say? 11 to 4 at Centrale on Saturday. They'll have bottomless rosé, all-day $5 rosé martinis, and frosé. Frosé, you say? Which is frozen rosé, I assume. Uh, that's at Centrale this weekend. And from there, you could, just roll over to, you could stay there and watch the game Saturday, or you could roll over to Madison Social or Township. I'm cutting you off here. We're going to break before you take that, us. Was to, that Rosie? No. More from Tim Linnefeld joins us next, people. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles, and we welcome back our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim joins us, as always, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I am great. I know when you made that trek to Athens last week, about this time, middle of the week, maybe Thursday, I'm not sure when you went up, but I'm no, sure along, uh, along, that, along the way, you envisioned in your mind how Florida State was going to completely dominate a national seed and be right back in the Super Regionals as they are every year. Well, okay, you know, look, I didn't see them dominating by any means. Uh, but, I, you know, it's funny, I was talking to our buddy Lane Hurt uh, about it leading up to it. And even when, you know, like in the last month of the season, there are some pretty steady projections that had Florida State in the Athens, uh, Athens Regional. And we both kind of said, you know, not that it's likely – but I could sort of see a path for them to win that regional that maybe you wouldn't give them at another regional. And a lot of it had to do with stuff 
not to do necessarily with baseball. I was just sort of thinking in terms of like, you know, Georgia had a really great year, but that's not a traditional power. I think it was like their eighth time hosting a regional. Uh, Florida State's a little more, you know, used to the postseason. Their staff's a little more used to the postseason. Then you factor in Athens isn't that far from Tallahassee. It, Florida State has a big fan base in Atlanta, so you knew there was going to be a lot of support for Florida State. And you say if they were able to maybe have some things go their way early or get up early, maybe Georgia starts feeling some pressure and on and on. Now, that's uh, you know that's not me predicting that they were going to you know win, score 15 runs a game or whatever it was. Just that I would have been shocked if they were pretty competitive. Uh, and it turns out they were very competitive. I want to talk about the guy that everybody's talking about, which is Tim Becker, who, by the way, has now has an article in Forbes. He's big time. <laughs> he, he's big time. I shared this on Twitter. Tim might have seen it. The postcard will yes. arrive in your mailbox soon, Keith. But uh, the other night I threw batting practice to Nolan, who hits lefty. And uh, as he stood up there, he said, Dad, I'm going to open up my stance more like Tim Becker. That actually <laughs> happened from watching the games this weekend. Anyway, no, in Florida State context, expanding beyond baseball, I've been trying to wrap my head around who did something like what he's done. In other words, was a complete non-factor and then showed up. And, and we don't know if this will last. We hope it will. But I came up with two two names, and they're not a perfect fit. But Javion Elliott really was – Yeah, that's a good one. Nobody expected anything from Javion. He ended up starting the last half of his senior year, and he's now still collecting an NFL paycheck. And the other one, though, he's not ultimately remembered this way because people associate the, the title game loss to Tennessee with Marcus Outson. But we went into that game against Florida that year – and that game, I'm talking about the 98 Florida game, is remembered more for Peter Warwick's catch on the ricochet and for Mickey Andrews' defense of rushing three, dropping eight. Yeah. But but Marcus Outson had eight or ten runs in that game and completely flustered Florida. So in terms and, – and, and thinking back, going into that game, that was supposed to be a Florida win. But I don't know. Who else do you have that might fit the mold of what Tim Becker did? Man, those, uh, those are pretty good ones. I think Javian's probably the, the most obvious one for me. Um you know, maybe one of the basketball guys, you know, but even still, gosh, I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, you say Marcus Allison, but, but you know, Tim Becker's a walk-on. So, I mean, the, you know, Javian's probably a better comparison for that, although he got a scholarship going into that season. Keith, uh, I got one. Keith's raising his hand. Us old people, real old people. Jerry Coleman, center, started at Nebraska in 1980. Played the rest okay. of the year for John Madden. That's a good idea for some summer content. I, I might, uh, I might see if I can get on that this summer. That's a pretty good one. So we all yeah. went to football. I mean, on the baseball side. I mean, I've heard. I, I don't know anybody on the baseball side. Now, Fuentes. They talked about you know, and that's also during my era. He was a walk on that got cut and came back. It's still, but it it's was still it a wasn't out of it wasn't so far out of realm. You know, um, Becker's. I think is. Bigger thing was, in baseball was, that any of us would remember. Yeah, it really was remarkable, and I, and I hope that continues this week. And, of course, the flip side is now he was playing for Elijah Cabell. And Cabell, if you recall, had committed to LSU. And then everybody for LSU came back, which is why they were the preseason number one. And so that's when he flipped and came to FSU. Now, I know he's had a tough year, but maybe this can be Cabell's weekend, and all of a sudden he runs into three or four or five or six. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I, I don't think it would be at the expense of Tim Becker. I would. Be, yeah, yeah, no, uh, Becker's got to be in the lineup. Him, if they take him out of the lineup, I don't, I don't see that happening. How big a move, although it was, it was, it was necessitated, but how big a move for for eleven and Meat to use Becker in that setting, even though Cabell had had struggles? I mean, that was a pretty gutsy move from the managerial standpoint, wasn't it? 
Oh, it absolutely was. Now it, it pays off really quick when he hits two home runs in the first game. You know what I mean? Like if he had, if he had struggled, uh, maybe they don't keep him there. I don't know. But once he throws that hot bat, uh, then it's you know it's, it's pretty easy to live with that decision, right? Without well, question. And baseball is the game of hindsight, obviously. So you were there, Tim. It watching it. It really did feel like that double play turned by Georgia early on and the fact that they all, it was almost like they wanted to dogpile on the first baseline. They were so excited. That that really seemed to ignite FSU. Is that fair or are we overcharacterizing it based on just what I saw on TV? I mean, I think maybe it did. Um, but, like, I think they're just swinging the bat really well. I mean, really well. I mean, obviously they had a great, uh, great offensive performance at the regional. But, I mean, take it back to that NC State game in the ACC tournament where they scored, I think it was 11 runs. Um, you know, I don't know what, what happened in that three days in Durham between the Wake Forest game and the NC State game. Uh, but, uh, man, you know, they, they, they seem to have turned a corner uh, offensively. I mean, a huge corner. Uh, that said, um, you know, this is a team they've shown in the past that they kind of, you know, they don't like being shown up, so to speak, I guess. And, and not to accuse, of, you know, uh, Georgia showing them up necessarily. But you remember in that Clemson series in that first game and Clemson hits a home run and they get the – you know, the basketball hoop and everybody's out there doing like alley-oops and all that. And it's like, you know, the, the, the guys in the Florida State dugout are like, you know, oh, that's, that's the way it's going to be. Um, and they sort of uh, they sort of feed off that a little bit, it seems like. And so, you know, it wouldn't shock me at all if there was an element of that uh, at, at play with Georgia as well. I think it goes back to the Georgia pitchers' responses in the first couple of innings that really set the tone for Florida State because he was a little more – I mean, even Van Eck – and I yeah. rather got into it, and he didn't do nothing. I mean, he is yeah. Mister Mister Marshmallow, and even he got into it. Do you know where that? You see where that kid's from? The Georgia pitcher, Caro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right up the road. So syrup maker. Yep. So I don't know if FSU looked at him or what the rationale was for going there. The, t- but the biggest thing to have jumped, a little hometown disrespect there, yeah. sort of. Biggest thing that jumped out at me, Tim, uh, and, I, and it's been made widely known. So it's not like I'm insightful or anything, but. Up until the, the, the Saturday game, Georgia had given up 10 runs one time all year. And Florida State got them for more than 10 or more in both of those wins. That's just remarkable. No, it really is. Uh, and, you know, we can, we can you know, decipher some of the reasons and the, and the logic. And, you know, maybe they're fired up. Maybe Tim Becker is a future MLB all-star or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you know, to at least a certain degree – I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like, nobody could have really seen that coming. Again, you could see him maybe winning the, winning the, the series, you know, winning some close games. But even going into it and talking to some of the guys up there who covered Georgia for, uh, for some of the outlets up there, I mean, it's, when, when Georgia, a typical Georgia game would be like a 2-1, to 3-2, to 4-2 to two kind of thing. So you say, you know, you can beat them, but, you know, you, it's going to be low scoring. It, I mean, I, one of the just, I guess, the weird quirks of baseball that you could for the way that you did and, and, and have that kind of output. I don't know that there is any kind of satisfying explanation for it. Well, and it, jumping out early obviously has a sure, huge, yeah, yeah. huge impact, both in terms of your confidence offensively in the middle to later innings, but your pitcher's confidence. And the pressure it puts on the other team. No question. Which Florida State has been accustomed to having on its back when it's at home. It was definitely a weekend, and I, I'm not suggesting FSU got all the breaks because that's not what I mean, but every move seemed to work out right. You start Tim Becker – He's great. Connor Grady, great. I think it was the second game against Georgia, middle innings. Florida State has first and second, nobody out, which is the only time that Mike Martin really bunts at all these days. He opts not to bunt with whoever it is, and that player makes it out. 
So now you're thinking, well, he should have bunted. And the next guy hits a double to the gap, and it doesn't matter, and the two-run score, and it was just everything went right. So all that said, you know, it can turn pretty quickly. So what are your thoughts as we go to Baton Rouge this weekend, Tim? Well, uh, I think it'll be a challenge. Uh, on the one hand, I mean, LSU is a lower seed than Georgia, so theoretically they didn't have as strong of a year, and, and theoretically they're not as strong of an opponent. So, okay, there's that. Uh but at the same time, you know, a lot of some of those factors that I mentioned about Georgia, and they're all soft factors, right? They're not baseball factors. But, you know, LSU is used to playing in the postseason. They're used to hosting regionals and super regionals. Uh, they're used to being successful at the highest level. Um, there's going to be, a, you know, a, a zillion LSU fans there. I think Florida State will have some representation, but it won't be to the same degree as it was in Athens. So, you know, some of those things that worked in Florida State's favor, I don't know that you can count on. This week. Um, that said, I mean, look, man, if they're going to score 12 runs a game, they're probably going to win the national championship. So, um, you know, what I what I look at is, uh, is is Florida State's pitchers, especially, you know, C.J. Van Eyck in that second game. It's going to be a night game. You know, how's he going to do uh, in that scenario? Uh, you know, a night game at LSU, the same thing uh, for Drohan if he gets to that point uh, in a game three on Monday. You know, how do those guys handle the the weight uh, and the and – the, I guess pressure. I mean, even depending on how the first game goes, regardless, I mean, those games two and a potential game three are going to be pretty serious spotlight um, and a, a pretty big moment. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's what I'm sure what those guys embrace. But, you know, until a guy has to go out there and do it, uh, you know, you wonder how he's going to respond. Here's the biggest thing that jumps out at me, and I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, you can go back and check the tape. I said Florida State would not get out of the Athens regional. They, you know, they might win a ball game or two, but they would lose. Well, that was Two, a crowded island we were all on. I understand. Together. Two of the starters that LSU will use are freshmen. True freshmen, obviously. They have been put on the shelf. Yeah, they've been hurt. Three most of and the four and five weeks ago, not because they were injured, but because they had tired arms. They have just now come back and thrown a game or two or three. If you look at Georgia's starter in game one, who will be a first-round draft pick next year. He had been put on the shelf because he was injured, had not thrown for four or five weeks, had only thrown two or three ball games going into the FSU ball game. Postseason, particularly at the regional and super regional, is all about experience and all about how have you thrown lately. And with those two freshmen for LSU and limited starts prior to them going up against Florida State, I kind of like my odds, Tim. I, I really do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair, uh, especially, you know, again, it's the same kind of thing. If, if you know, Mike Salvatore can lead off with a hit and then you can get somebody in scoring position, you can, you can score early. I mean, that was a huge part of Florida State's success over the weekend was building early leads and sort of putting some pressure on. Uh, it's the same kind of thing we were talking about. A, a freshman pitcher, first time on that stage, has a little bit of pressure playing at home, World Series on the line at the visiting team. Uh, who, you know, for whatever reason is a, a three seed and is on the road. I mean, if they're, you know, putting some putting a little bit of weight on you, I mean, that, that's the kind of situation that can get out of control uh, pretty quickly, and all of a sudden you're down six, seven runs in the third or fourth inning. I mean, ask Georgia about that, how that goes. Tim, you mentioned in your prior response about Drohan on Monday. Are they, are they going, is that what they've announced instead yeah, of Connor? Yeah, so, yeah. so they're no, going to use Grady out of the pen. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I really uh, got my uh, – got my – my wires crossed. I apologize. No, it was same same rotation as last week. Okay, okay good. Okay, because okay. I was exactly. going to say Paris, that would be Paris Van Eyck and Grady. I apologize. That's okay. All right. When you said that, I was thinking, boy, you're that's right, an interesting right, move right. to go ahead and say we're going to use Grady out of the pen. You, you could have cut me off. My, my, my fault. 
Okay, well, I, you know, I was going to cut you off, but Keith was just chomping well, at the bit to get in. In fact, it's June 5th, and it's his first mistake. I mean, that's pretty far into the no, year. I know. And, and we're like four time. years into this relationship, too. So we'll uh, mark that down on the negative side, Tim. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. It is the, and the rotation is the same. Mike Mark confirmed that this morning. It's Drew Paris, DJ Van Eyck, Connor Grady. Okay. So, I, and I presume you're going this weekend, correct? Yes, that's the plan. So have you been to LSU, and what are you most excited about seeing there this weekend? Uh, I never have been to LSU. I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, I haven't been on campus there uh, baseball always seems pretty cool uh, i'm a big fan of uh you know cajun uh, delicacies so uh, if i can get some crawfish or or whatever i'll be uh, i'll be pretty happy with that uh but no man it's, it's kind of anything um you know, I, I did a, a show uh in uh in, i think lafayette last night and they asked me kind of the same sort of question i said you know uh the the baseball stadium at lsu it almost reminds me at least in my mind kind of uh of rosenblatt because like if you're growing up as a college baseball fan um you know, you see, like, LSU, if college baseball is on TV, odds are LSU is on all the time. You see that place, you're like, oh, man, that place is really cool. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a neat setting, a neat atmosphere. I wonder if I'll ever be there. Probably not. Uh, and and I haven't been there yet. So the fact that, you know, in these games there, I'm actually pretty excited about to see it in person. Yeah, it's a great stadium that uh, I talked about earlier in the show. I mean, and it seats ten or 11,000. I mean, it's like, to me, it's like a double-A, triple-A park feel. Yeah. So uh, even the crowd noise, when it gets loud, it almost feel, feels like a soundtrack, if you will, because you're in a bigger stadium and it's a, it's a bigger crowd. But it, it'll it be a good experience. Now, on the crawfish, and I'm not a crawfish eater per se, but, you know, you're into June now, so it's getting a little dicey, I think. We're at the end of the season, so just make well, sure you're getting your right. money's well, worth there. fine. I'll settle for something else. Yeah, well, and they have plenty of other good stuff. There. There's a casino there if you really, uh, you know, want to roll the dice, literally, Tim. Let's see what I can do. All right. We appreciate it as always. Uh, safe travels, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. You got it, guys. We'll see you again. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lunafell. What do you think he gambles? What do you think is his game of choice? Uh, I would go he strikes blackjack. Yeah, I, I was going to say, jack. yeah, I think he's a blackjack guy. I don't see him into roulette and craps and all. See, all those scare me away. You, you've been with me. I, 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 I give well, money. I give, I'm scared away. I give, other money, I give money to other people and let them do it because I'm afraid of the personal interaction. I'm afraid I'll do a hand gesture. Or, or do something wrong, and all of a sudden the pit boss. You're afraid that you're going to mess it up for everybody. Exactly. Who has I'm afraid I'm going to no, be handcuffed and marched out of the of the. Again, we'll see the on the place. nickel slots. We'll yeah. see on the nickel yeah. slots. Yeah. All right, we'll come back. There is uh, more than just baseball going on this weekend. Uh, NCAA championships up for grabs on the track. We'll discuss that and more when Front Row Knowles rolls on. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Front Row Knowles continues. I mentioned before the break that NCAA championships are up for grabs this weekend. And is that and that is true because we have NCAA outdoor track and field championships being contested at the university of texas in austin and uh we'll welcome a guest on the earl bacon agency hotline here momentarily but just a little bit of perspective first for our listeners keith you know we've talked a lot about women's soccer and women's softball as national champions here of late uh but if you know your florida state history you know that the women's track team had and it was shortly after your playing days very much so national champs in 1984 national runners up in, in 83 and 85 uh, their best finish in the last decade or so was in 2009 when they finished fourth overall. They've got six 
top four finishes in program history. So there's been some success there for Florida State. And, and this year's team goes into the championships uh, ranked number third based on who they're bringing to Austin. And, and one of those young women joins us right now. This is uh, Courtney Jones, who is a hurdler and a sprinter for the team. Courtney, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. So you're a you're a junior, but you're a veteran. You've been on this stage before. So I'll start there. How does that change things in terms of preparation, mindset, confidence, and all that? It definitely prepares me a lot more considering this is my third consecutive outdoor championship. I've made it since my freshman year. Um, during my freshman year, I was a lot nervous, a lot more nervous than I am now because I was the youngest competitor coming in. I was 17 and competing against people who were 20 four and 23 but now that i actually have um championships under my belt it prepares me a lot more my mentality is a lot more stronger and i'm prepared to go in and win you are from uh, conyers georgia so uh just down the road to florida state and i'm looking at your your resume here you uh, not only are you the record holder at, at FSU uh, in in the hurdles, but you actually broke the record twice this year. So congratulations <laughs> there. Uh, one of Thank them at, at, at the ACC championships. Give me a perspective. I, I think you were seated fourth based of, out of how you came out of the regionals, but the twelve seven two you ran at the ACC championships, that's the FSU record. Where where does that stack up based against the rest of the field that you'll be competing with this week? Um, it's still pretty high up there. You know, you have a couple of people that went twelve five this season and twelve six. Um, I don't think I've peaked as of yet. I'm still, I feel like I still have a lot left in my tank and I still have a lot left to go, um, especially with this considered being a long season even after MCs. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident how, the, how this race will go. Now, Tom, we have to put the appropriate disclosure in. Uh, Courtney, I'm Keith Jones and you're Courtney Jones. No relation. Yes. Now, there's two <laughs> reasons why there's no relation. Okay. Number one, she can jump over things. And number two, she's very fast. Yes. I've got none of that. I've got none of that. <laughs> so we've clarified. How different, uh, Courtney, I know you've been there uh, and, and, and you've been out, but how different is the, is the Texas facilities than what you're used to? And is that any plus uh, advantage or disadvantage? Um, it's about the same, you know, track is a track. You just try to go in with the same mentality that you've been preparing for the entire year. Um, you don't want to go in thinking anything different and trying to cater to something else. Um, just because you're at a different track, the being that we are in Texas this year instead of Oregon is a lot better because of the weather last year in Oregon, we were competing in storms and in hail and cold weather. So at least here we have sunny skies with a little bit of rain, but other than that, it's about the same. Well, you can tell the Jones people think alike because that was going to be my next question. I would imagine it's a little warmer and maybe more conducive to sprints in Texas than yes. it would be in Oregon. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Run us through or take us through what runs through your mind when you're in the middle of a race. Are, are you counting steps between hurdles? I mean, what what does your mind go blank? I mean, what, what happens once they fire um, the gun and you're off? Usually, particularly during the race, I'm not usually thinking once they fire the gun, it's just instinct to just go and to attack and to compete um, to the best of my ability. I'm trying not to think because if you think too much or if you overthink, then you'll start overthinking everything and then you'll fall behind and then you won't be competing. So during my races, I'm not I'm not thinking to a point as to where, oh, I need to pull my trail leg through or count my steps or I need to do this now. And it's more of a sense of urgency and attacking and attacking the hurdles and just doing what I have to do to cross the finish line first. Along that same lines, Courtney, did you run hurdles early in your high school career or did that become later? No, um, all throughout high school I ran. I started 
running in eighth grade in middle school. And I was just the one person on the middle school team that did it for points because I wasn't scared to do it. But once I got to high school with my coaches and um, Coach Bennett and Coach T and Mayna Jackson in Atlanta, they really helped me understand hurdles. And I was able to get my rhythm down. And I was actually able to win the state championships and go and, stuff and do stuff like that. And, and what drew you to Florida State? Well, what brought you to Tallahassee? Warm weather. Um, I enjoyed the relationship that I have with my coaches. And, you know, the all-around, the team, the team environment that I was in, that, that's, what draw, that's what drew me there the most. And the different opportunities that were available for me to do outside of track as well. Well, I'm going to get to both of those. We'll start with the team environment because Florida State actually has 12 women who've qualified and will, are in Austin this week, which is the most for Florida State since the NCAA moved to this format, which was back in 2010. So you, you, mm-hmm. you're the ACC Outdoor Champs, which Florida State has won that three out of the last six years in women's track. You're number three in the rankings going in. So what is the thought on what this team is capable of accomplishing this weekend? You know, we're, everything is, is, we're able to do everything through Christ. And I feel like a lot of people on our team preach that and they believe that in themselves. And we all have each other's back at the end of the day. So if we all, we are a team and we are a collective group and we're all going to be out there to support one another. So I think everyone is coming in here with the same mindset and we are ranked number three and we're trying to come out as on top of number one with the opportunity to do so. And I think that we're all trying to do that here today. We're talking with Courtney Jones, who's a hurdler and a sprinter on the FSU women's track team. So now let's move to the things outside of the track uh, and the other things that, that Florida State brought to the table for you. What are you majoring in? Uh, you know, what, what other things have you experienced in your Florida State life? I am a sociology major with a minor in psychology. Um, I was originally a pre-med major coming in, and that quickly changed once I realized that that wasn't the path that I really wanted to go for. But outside of that, um, I'm in SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee or SLASH Council. Um, I'm in WILD, which is Women in Leadership Development. So it just allows me to be a part of different groups outside of SAC to bring rules and regulations to, to try to better our experiences as NCAA athletes. Well, we certainly hope that you have the best experience possible this week. I know they adjusted the schedule a little bit due to the weather, but I think you've got the semifinals tomorrow. And I should point out that you're also with the 4 by 100 meter relay team. And then the finals would go on uh, Saturday, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So best of luck to you, and uh, we'll be watching from afar cheering for the Garnet and Gold. That is Courtney Jones from the Florida State women's track team. And, okay, uh, three things. She can run, she can jump, and she's really smart. Yeah. So she's definitely not related. I'll give you a little love there, Keith. You were a two-time academic All-American, or three-time. Did I short you? Just two. Just two. It always takes a little while that freshman and sophomore year to get up to speed, right? Yeah. You know, what's also interesting, too, and Courtney, obviously, on the on the um, track side, but uh, it, it is track and field. And for the first time that I can recall in a long time, Florida State has representation. And this this is the the, the – field side of it uh in the hammer throw the javelin and the discus they've got a balanced team yeah and it, it's really we talked about this last week how how, how coach Bramman is very good at manipulating the score and knowing where to put people and how to do things because you're not going to go out there with 45 people and dominate 10 of the 20 or 21 events you're going to score in three or four or six events and if you score high enough that can get you a national championship that's just the way it works today. Well, especially if you have a like a Walter Dix type or somebody that's going to win. And Florida State on the men's side 
as Andre Ewers, who who unfortunately just missed qualifying in the 100, but he's in the 200 and the 4 by one But if you get somebody there, because if you win, you get 10 points towards the team. So in the case of Walter Dix, he was checking the box for 30 points when he was here, and that's been a number of years now. But uh, I did want to just point – on the men's side, they have seven qualifiers. They're number 28 nationally. They had some injury issues this year. I know they had higher hopes than, than where they're at right now. Um, but they did win the ACC indoor. I think they shared that title. And, and they've got a chance for for some uh, success this weekend as well. Yeah, and it, it it's always fun if you if you've played uh, sports at Florida State, regardless of what sport you played, you always hear about the track and field. And the biggest reason is, and this sounds silly, but they have the most performers. There's there's probably over a hundred kids participating combined in the men's and women's track teams. Uh, just because of the the, the right. variety of the things that they do, so by, they are they are as big if and, and maybe even bigger than the football team in terms of number of participants. So you're always running into them, you always see them, and if you're like me as a football player, you run into the sprinter, and you go, well, uh, well, that's the reason he's fast. He's six foot one, weighs 103 pounds. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> and you compare yourself to them, and uh, remarkable athletes, remarkable athletes. So good luck to Bob Brayman's squad, both on the uh, men's side of the ledger and the women's side, and particularly to Courtney Jones. We appreciate her joining us. She's been in the whole team's been in Austin since uh, Sunday, I think. So she, we carved that interview in around her uh, her training schedule, and we wish her the best of luck. She competes tomorrow in the uh, in the hurdles, and then uh, also in the four by one. Take a break. Come back. We may bounce back to baseball. There's also several other items we can clean up as uh, Front Row Knowles continues. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Keith, we've been talking a lot of baseball, so I do want to point this out. I actually, it's the first time we've been doing the show four and a half years. First time I actually made a list of uh, sports news that came out over the last week as it happened. You actually prepared? I actually prepared, yes. So the uh, the ACC baseball tournament is moving out of Durham. Now, you know I have long been a proponent that we need to move this around. And it was in Durham for perpetuity until that, that AAA Baseball League said, we're not going to let our teams hold dates anymore for conference tournaments. So they forced the hand, and it had to move. Charlotte. Charlotte. Which I think Charlotte will be good for 2020. <laughs> that and the fact Charlotte got a new stadium six or eight years ago too, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yes. It's supposed to be terrific. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy about that. Now, what's going to happen is they'll end up nailing it down in Charlotte for the next 28 years. Okay, we're making progress. We're in the bigger city. Easier to get to from here. I can't argue a ton with that. I still think with all the baseball that's played in Georgia and in the Atlanta area, there's a lot of options there. And I know it'd be Georgia tech home crowd. Well, guess what? We've been playing with the four schools in North Carolina's home crowd for two decades now. Uh, or why not just put it at Disney's wide world of sports down there and let everybody go. Well, you, and I've been, you and I've been down there for basketball and observed the baseball facilities down there. They, they are quite nice. Well, it's been the brave spring training. Home exactly. I know they got something new. I don't know. I don't call if they moved or they're moving, but Anyway, so that's my two cents there. But at least at least we have moved. And having said that, the Durham Bulls Athletic Park, I've called many games there. Great venue. I just think you need to move it around somewhere. Well, how about the NCAAs moving from Eugene 
to Austin. They've been in Eugene since, what, 2004? If I read that correctly, so that's take your shoes off 15 years, and now, and now they're back in Texas. <laughs> Thanks for the sound effect that went, went with that. <laughs> um, if you don't want to have to count on fingers and toes uh, and you're trying to do some measurements or some projects, just go ask Ron or his staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They'll, they'll do the heavy counting for you. They'll right. pull out all the gear that they have, and they'll make it much simpler for you. They're at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They're online at ctf.nu. Call them at 580-1200. I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask you, do you do you know what you say when you're building something that involves numbers? I don't know, Keith. If what I do say you say? You, if I say to you two in one, what does that mean? Are you talking about a two-by-one piece of wood? What are we talking about here? Uh, you don't know is what you're saying. Right. Measure twice. Oh, cut once. Cuts once. Okay. Well, I didn't know your abbreviated verbiage there. I'm just just trying yes, to lead if you, do you it, along. If you do it the other way, it doesn't work out as well. <laughs> we, we have established that. Okay, so also something that came out this past uh, week. I think this was Wayne and the Democrat had this story, but uh, FSU's athletics budget. Uh, it was an article about FSU's athletics budget, which the university budget goes to the Board of Trustees on Friday. Um, but bottom line, when you look at the fees, they have the, the television rights or however it's broken down increasing by two and a half or three million this year now you and i last week talked about ultimately we think it's going to be a 10 or 12 million dollar increase with the acc network so just to clarify that and i don't know that anybody really came out and said this but what's been happening for the last several years and you'll recall at one point west durham sort of let the cat out of the bag because he confirmed that schools were going to get three million dollars extra for every year that the ACC didn't have a network. So this was in 2014 or so, maybe 2015 after the SEC network had launched. So every year since then, ESPN has been paying, if you will, a $45 million penalty to the conference, which gets split up as an extra $3 million per school until a network launches. So in the budget, as I understand it, and I haven't talked to anybody about this, but this is what makes sense. They just put $3 million in there again as a, as a placeholder. But I think the point still stands. We really don't know what that number will look like Next nobody, year, nobody does. Nobody knows because you're still waiting on carriage announcements uh, and, and all that. So, but I am still. I, I guess the bottom line is, we had just said ten, then it comes out in the paper that it's three. But that's the rationale for that, and ultimately, they're still hoping this becomes a much bigger. And, and I had figure. a number of people, and I didn't confirm this, and maybe you do know emphatically, but I would from uh, anecdotal conversations. Uh, the way it was presented was that the boosters had to write a check for $6.5 million to balance the athletic budget. Well, it wasn't like they wrote that check at the very end when the athletic department said we're $6.5 million light. Those are monies that are budgeted and transferred. There was a deficit, and the boosters did have to make up some, but it wasn't like uh, David had to pick up the phone and call Andy Miller on June 29th and say, oh, by the way, I need a check right. for $6.5 million or I got a problem. Right. It, it's calculated and budgeted, although it was a little askew. And I think Coburn and company have done a very good job and continue to do a very good job at looking at ways to, to save some money. The biggest thing that did jump out at me, though, and, and you've got to appreciate, right, wrong, or indifferent, is there's a huge drop in their anticipated ticket sales, mm-hmm. primarily for football or even off almost exclusively for football, that is directly related to two things. These are the two things that will fix your your ticket sales every time, no matter what sport. If you win and you bring in quality opponents, tickets seem to take care of themselves right. when those two things are on track. Right, yeah. Winning winning solves a lot of things. We, we have a saying in the insurance business, production solves all problems. <laughs> um. A couple of other things here that I made note of. Willie Taggart's been out on the booster tour. I think that tour is finished now. 
But he made some comments, maybe in Ocala. Uh, somebody asked him about the, the the caliber of the schedule this year, and he gave the politically correct response of, you know, you got to wait and see kind of thing. But I do think, and we talked about this when the schedule came out, there is the perception that Florida State played uh, an NFL caliber schedule last year, and they're playing a JV schedule this year. Or middle school. And, and I maintain that the only difference on the schedule – is that you get Boise State in Jacksonville instead of at Notre Dame, which is significant for one game. But at Virginia is going to be probably a tougher game than Virginia Tech at home last year, and it's all about perception. The perception is Virginia Tech's good in football and Virginia's not. But the reality right now is Virginia Tech wasn't any good in football last year, and Virginia was. Well, and that's the thing, and because we, we talk about it, particularly those of us have, that have been longtime Florida State fans, you know, we traditionally say, well, NC State's not very good. You should beat them nine out of ten times or ten out of ten times. Well, there's been a couple of years where NC State was really good. Remember the time when, when Wake Forest under Grobe got good for a two- or three-year period. Yeah, traditionally, that's a game you should win. But for that two or three years, that was a testy ball game, particularly up there. The same thing applies. What happens if Florida State beats Boise State 17-14 and then Boise State runs the table and finishes 11-1? and how much different does that? Oh, it make always it looks. Look? It always looks different in arrears. I'm just. I mean, would you agree with that premise, though? If you just look at Virginia Tech and Virginia, I, I don't know that I'd go so far. That is that is a good analogy. I don't know. I'd go, I'd go as far as you have gone, but but your premise is is accurate. Uh, I don't know that Virginia. Well, then, then quite, let, me, let me lump this in then. Quite better than Virginia so Tech. Take They're that, certainly right there with them. Take that, but then with the context that instead of having Clemson and Florida at home, you're on the road for those two. And then you have Miami at home, but truthfully, last year we know what happened. You've won, you, before that, you'd won for the last decade in Miami. So, and I know we have a winning streak in Gainesville too. I just think to me the real difference in the schedule is Boise State versus Notre Dame. Now, that's without assessing personnel on every team, but I, I think in, in simpler terms, it's just being painted as last year's schedule was incredibly difficult and this is incredibly easy, and I don't buy that. Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would tell you that the 18 schedule – ended up being tougher than folks expected because Notre Dame was better than they were anticipated being. Uh, Clemson continued. You, you would expect some type of fall off. That didn't happen. Florida got better. Well, I Miami think what happened with better. Clemson is Trevor Lawrence is just as good as advertised. Without question. And so he took them back or even further this, than though, Deshaun Tommy, Watson had taken I will them. tell you this. Clearly further than what they were with Kelly Bryant, though. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with the statement that Clemson and Florida are tougher at home you mean tougher on the road than at home? Yeah, uh, yes. I, mean, I, I think both of those rivalries have gotten to the point where you could play them in, in Biloxi and it wouldn't matter. I mean, yeah, home field advantage in terms of you sleep in your own bed or you sleep in the bed of the hotel you're used to at home games and you got a big crowd and everything. But I think both of those programs, both of those rivalries have gotten to the point, even though Florida State has struggled the last two years, I mean, it, it was not a big deal way back in the day when we played at LSU or we played at, at Nebraska. It, we were playing the 11 people on the field. We didn't pay attention to the others. If your program gets to that point, I don't think it makes that big a difference. If you're at that point. So now, in the 90s, it took national championship caliber teams for FSU to win at Florida. So the 93 and 99 teams won at Florida, but the others didn't because Florida had it going on. Of late, it hasn't taken that because Florida's been down. But on the Clemson side of the ledger, other than 13, has FSU won at Clemson since 99? I mean, it's pretty much 
a loss every time they go up there except 13 they which is part of the reason that that was such a shocker that it was 51 to 13 or whatever it was yeah the, the blowouts are kind of the anomaly there might be one game i'm missing in there but i don't know if i am and i'm not i'm not telling you i'm jumping up and down and demanding that you pay attention to my my theory but certainly in certain situations, certain rivalry games, the home field advantage is not what we would expect it to be, I guess is what I'm saying. Let's get to the uh, the real news that we can agree on here. The bowl lineup has been tweaked, not for this year, but for next. And the ACC has traded Detroit for Boston. I mean, that's got to go down as a win, doesn't it? Well, technically, that's about the only one we know because the ACC didn't announce their schedule at the same time. That the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and the SEC. Well, it's did. all out though. The ACC might not have announced right. it, but so um, so here's the reality of that. But that, and that's in that's in uh, Fenway, right? Yes. So the reality is better city to visit to go to Boston, but as the sideline guy, better venue to be in a dome in Detroit than to be at Fenway at Park that time when of it's year. four degrees at that time of year. Uh, also, though, we've we've traded the every other every now and again Nashville. For San Diego in the ACC Bowl rotation. Now, that's an upgrade, right? I would agree. Are you with me? I would agree. I mean, we can't. Where's the old Belk Bowl these days? The Belk Bowl is still in the rotation. <laughs> and unfortunately, so is El Paso and Shreveport. Hey, now, El Paso is a good trip if if you're not playing and you've just won your first Academic All-American Award and all you got to do is go out there and hold your helmet at halftime. El Paso is a very good trip if you're a youngster doing that. Because then they take you down to Juarez, Mexico, and stories that I can't repeat on FCC Channel with my my compatriots from you the, can't repeat from them because you can't remember them anyway. Well, no, I can remember them then, <laughs> but my compatriots from Oklahoma that were with me, uh, uh, it was a very interesting. Were they from Nebraska or Oklahoma? Well, where's Dean Steinkuller? Is he Nebraska? He's or... Nebraska. Okay, so they were from Nebraska. All right. And, uh, See, I told you you can't even remember can't the details. Remember. Yeah, so you're safe. I mean, we don't have CR, to worry about the FCC. CRS is kicking in. <laughs> that CRS is. All right, that's where we started with your Shizu reference, and now we're ending the show with CRS. So, uh, and they a, say we don't plan. I mean, what else do you have here? I'm trying to think if I made any other notes this week of some uh, some happenings. That, uh, I think are, that's. Are the, we going to hear any? Do we continue to hear about the transfer portal? I mean, it seems like every week there's a new story. The kid that was at usc that transferred to texas went to class at usc didn't like it for a week or two went to texas for an entire semester probably in the spring game and is now back at usc um dickerson as we talked about last week or the week before you can go into the portal but you can check the box please don't contact me he's going to go to alabama is that what i heard yes Every week, are we going to be talking about the portal? Pretty much, pretty much. But here's what it's going to come down to, and we discussed this a little. Uh, you know, the players now have the freedom to raise their hand and say, I'm interested in looking at a new opportunity. But the teams that they're currently with all also have an opportunity to, uh, you know, reevaluate their depth chart and, and all those type things too. Uh, and so this is maybe the worst analogy, but maybe the best analogy, because if you think about an employment situation and the athletes aren't employees, but if you're in your job – and your boss knows that you're looking around openly and every week you've got another resume out somewhere, at some point that's not going to bode well for you at your job. Now, if you do it once, you and your boss get along and you say, hey, I just there's this opportunity and it's closer to home or my wife's from here and I'd really like to explore it, maybe you get an okay. But after that happens every week, it's going to get kind of old. So what I hear you saying is the list that appeared in the Democrat of the people that have applied for the FSU baseball job, kind of significant is what you're saying. 
Well, no, what I took away from that is there's a lot of names not in that list yet because it's public record. And so I, I don't know when that window closed or when you can still get in, but you're going to keep your name out of the fray as long as you can. I, I thought the same thing. And I further thought, has it been closed? Will it be closed? Are there others that you can send in? I, I don't know what the committee's thoughts are on that. And I haven't heard or asked. Nor do I. All right, we'll do this again next week. Hopefully we have good news. I mean, two win, two games from Omaha, that's hard to fathom or even at this point. And uh, maybe next week we'll be talking about another trip out to Omaha and some steak. We'll keep our fingers crossed. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for joining us on Front Row Knowles. Yeah.